Hey everyone, over the course of the next few weeks, we're taking the time to highlight our top episodes over the last couple of years. Whether you're an avid listener or a new listener of the podcast, chances are you may have missed one of these game-changing interviews. I'll see you back in 2024 with all new episodes of the Behind Her Empire podcast. I hope you enjoy this one. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Neha Kumar, to our show today. Neha is a serial entrepreneur and investor. She's a co-founder of May Wines, a California-made wine company focused on single-serve wine, and also the co-founder of New Money Ventures, a consumer fund and brand studio focused on empowering the next generation of entrepreneurs. Neha has had quite the career journey, from having a reputable banking career to launching her first business that quote-unquote failed, to then spending years working at different startups, and most recently serving as the COO and CFO of Create and Cultivate, which sold to Quarter Capital in 2020. This is a fun interview. Both Neha and I are personally passionate about empowering women in business, and some of the highlights of our conversation include the biggest learning she had with her first business and what she wished she knew before starting out, what people get wrong about work-life balance, motherhood, and how she thinks about it, when not to start a business around your passions, we have a lot to say there, and her unique perspective around what it takes to build a successful company as both an operator and investor. Welcome to the show, Neha. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to be here with you in person. I'm excited, everyone. We are doing our first in-person interview right now, (laughs) and Neha is here, so I am thrilled. I can't imagine. I never thought after two years of doing this remote, we'd get back to like normal life. So I am honored you're our first guest and I just can't wait to jump into it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. So I'm going to jump into it in terms of, I saw a quote you had on Instagram that I absolutely loved where you said, you have to constantly find yourself to be resilient. Can you talk more about the meaning of this quote and how it really resonates with you? Absolutely. You know, I'm going to look at it as two parts. The first one is the latter, which is the resiliency. In being resilient, it is really, that is a very important skill to have, especially when you're in the startup space, because life has its ups and downs and everything in between, and you constantly need to have the ability to bounce back and find your way back. And the first part of it, finding yourself, so you can look at it as finding yourself and then also creating or recreating yourself. Mm. One of the things I've heard from a people a lot growing up is be yourself, be yourself. And as much as that might be a popular saying or a popular meme, it's not something that I always resonated with. Who am I? How do I decide who I am? And I thought, you know, if you open yourself up, you're not going to see Neha. Hmm. If I open up you, you're not going to see Yasmin. So who are we? We are whoever we want to be. We can find ourselves. We can create ourselves. We can recreate ourselves. 
And as life changes and life evolves, who we are and who we want to be, that also changes and evolves. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've noticed over the past few years with the cancel culture and all these different things is that people were pulling up quotes or things that somebody said five years ago or 10 years ago. And we're not the same people that we were a year ago, let alone five years ago or 10 years ago. And we should all have the ability to constantly find ourselves. And that's why that quote for me is so important because as I went into motherhood, as I went into different phases of my career, my life also changed, but so did I. And what I love so much about this, and that's why I'm excited to have you on, is because you had so many different phases in your life and you did recreate yourself and you continue even to this day to recreate yourself. And one question that I have is, So many of us, and I've been in this position when I was in corporate America, and even when I was in tech, I was living other people's expectations of myself. And I know we were talking about this before we started recording. I feel like now in my 30s, I'm finally beginning to know who I am, and I'm not giving a shit about what anyone else thinks. So what recommendations do you have for people who are like, well, Neha, I don't even know who I am. I don't know where to start to recreate myself. Like, How do we get still with who we are and not let other people's expectations kind of dictate who we are as as a person? That's such a great question. And I think that it's a muscle that you build Mm. over time. So it isn't something that you automatically just have. And it's something that you continually need to work on it. And so what you really need to be able to do is tune out the noise, Mm -hmm. tune out what other people are saying or how it how the things that they're doing can impact you and really focus on what do I want? What am I trying to achieve? And the biggest thing is what's important to me? That is huge. And do I still get impacted by what other people say about me? Absolutely. But over time, I've just learned more and more to let it slide off. It's almost like creating your own raincoat, right? And when you have the raincoat- There's rain. Sometimes it rains harder. Sometimes it rains less. But you start to learn to allow the rain to just kind of fall off. Yes, I love that. And I think also putting yourself in positions where you can recreate yourself and maybe you have naysayers or people that don't support you in the process, but you build that muscle and you continue to build a team around you that just supports you. So it gets easier and easier, right? Like whether it's a career transition you did or motherhood, like you talked about, It's like all these changes might feel intimidating in the beginning, but it does get easier in time, right? And now it's like, what business are we going to start? What should we do next? We're now at that point where I love to just recreate and it's become normal. And I feel like that's kind of how your life is as well. Absolutely. That's such a good way of putting it too, right? And it gets easier in the sense that you become comfortable with being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. so that you know that even though this is going to be hard, or I'm going to hear all the naysayers, which happens without fail every time whenever you do something new, right? But now you know that that's going to happen. And that's what makes the difference. I love that. No, so true. Well, now I want to circle back to the beginning of your life and talk about your parents, because I know they made such an impact to you. And they really instilled the importance of being financially independent. So what did that look like to you growing up, both the positives and the negatives? You know what's so interesting? I have so many people ask me questions like this, especially because of what I teach and what I do also, right? And in my household growing up, it was the norm. Mm. It wasn't a thing. 
It was just, this is what we do. So even today on a Friday or Saturday evening, if I'm at my parents' house right now and we're having dinner, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the interest rate increase. We're talking about how that's impacting real estate prices. We're looking at what's happening in the market. It's our version of fun. And what I love about that is that it's a normal conversation. The joke always is, right, that there's two things certain in life, money, taxes, and death, right? (laughs) And so we know that money is something and finding Financial items are something that's very important. Now, having said that, my dad is a financial planner. So it was a part of the vocabulary of our household. My mom is a residential real estate agent. Mm -hmm. So that, again, is also part of the vocabulary of our household. And that for us, for me growing up, has been amazing to have that as a part of my daily life. And remind me, do you have other siblings? Yes. A sister? Yes, I have a younger sister. So two girls. So do you think just being women, your dad more so wanted you guys to just be like on your two feet, financially independent, because typically this is total stereotyping, but it's really the men that kind of lean into finance and understand it. And I'm always like, where are the women? We need to feel empowered and everybody should know like the basics of finance. I just love that you guys are two daughters and I'm sure he was like so excited to get you involved with everything. That's very true. And my dad would actively go after making sure that my younger sister and I did understand a lot of the basics and we were taking care of things on our own. I love that. And it was really important to him. So when I went to grad school, I took on a loan when I got my MBA. And I wanted my dad to just fill out the paperwork. And my mom would tell him and just say, Vijay, like, just fill it out for her. And he said, no. I'm going to have her sit with a loan counselor. I want her to understand what it is she's signing up for. She needs to understand these things. And then she also needs to understand what all the terms are going to be around it, what the payment terms are, what she's dealing with. And I'm very fortunate that instead of my dad just taking something on, which could have been just minutes for him to fill out some forms, he caused me to go through the struggle of learning it and understanding it. But then you're aware. Mm. And that awareness, a lot of times for women, I don't like to say that, but a lot of times for women is missing. And being financially independent is something that everyone should have. It brings on a certain level of confidence, which is amazing. I love this. And it definitely resonates with me because my dad really instilled that in us as well. It's just like, being financially independent would always, even from like the young age of five, we would have an allowance. And it's like, I had to learn how to manage my money. If I wanted to get this toy, I had to like be in the confines of how much I had. And really, I started businesses when I was young, because I wanted more money, right? Like I couldn't just go. So I just love how they really pushed us to figure that out. And it's always a real life experience, even in business, right? That you learn the nitty gritty of everything. So I love that he let you kind of take the loans by yourself, you were learning all the terms. I think that's super important. So I also now want to transition and talk more about your banking career. So my question was, you know, what drew you there in the first place? I know you always were in the world of finance and your dad and your mom always talked about it. So I can see the transition. But specifically, what was it about banking, which we also worked at the same firm? We never met each other, but, you know, I (laughs) definitely know the world. At the same time in the same city. But yeah, I would love to just kind of hear about what pushed you in that direction. Well, money has always been exciting, right? It's just something for me that was, I could say innate, but it probably is something that was taught to me through my parents and growing up. It was something that I was interested in. So when I was in business school, I emphasized in finance. And so there's certain companies that come to school. And I actually ended up finding out about my job because there was a bunch of companies that were on campus at USC. That's where I did my MBA. 
they were there and it was raining outside and I was running over to one meeting, but then I heard that the Bank of America meeting had umbrellas and I <laughs> needed an umbrella because it was raining outside. So I go running over to there just to grab the umbrella and then someone came over and he's like, oh, so you're here to learn about Bank of America. And I'm like, well, I have to run to another meeting, but just can I grab this? And they're like, listen, let me get your card. I'll send you over the slides. So if you miss the meeting... I can send it to you. I really just went there to get the umbrella. You're kidding me. I'm not. How funny is that? And so he ended up sending me the slides. And then I ended up looking at the program that they had. And it was a global management leadership development program in banking. And it looked very interesting to me. I applied. And that's kind of how that happened. And the reason I, I like sharing that is because a lot of people think in life that we have everything planned out, mm. that there's some big mission or some big picture that you had planned out well in advance. This was my whole career went on a certain trajectory because I wanted an umbrella. I love that. And it's true. And this actually also resonates with me. I mean, my whole life are these serendipitous moments. You meet someone, you never know how they'll change your trajectory. But even with banking, I was in L.A. That's when we were both at B of A. I had a conversation with someone. It was like a family friend of a friend. They were like, oh, he's in finance. You guys should talk and know each other. And he worked at JP Morgan. And through like one conversation, he's like, do you want to move to New York? And I was like, a thousand percent. He's like, we can interview you. We're looking for an analyst. We think you'd be a great fit. And it just shows that that one conversation I had with this like friend of a friend of a friend literally completely changed my life. I ended up being in New York for years. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, and I left B of A, but they're great. Yeah. But yeah, it's just you never know how one person is going to impact your life. And the fact that you serendipitously were going there because of an umbrella. <laughs> I love that. I had no idea. That's amazing. It's pretty funny. And the, the best thing is, is that person who actually gave me the umbrella, him and I have remained in contact even after I left the bank and everything else. And he actually just had his wedding two weeks ago. Oh, so we're very close friends. Life is very interesting yeah. and magical how it can work out. I totally agree with that. Hey, everyone. It's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it every effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. You're an MBA. You got this amazing job in banking. You're getting paid well. You're working with awesome startups in LA. I love that part of it. What was it that you felt like you weren't getting from banking? I know you ultimately shifted your path, but yeah. what were you missing from that experience? So here's the thing too, is it's not necessarily what was missing. The bank was great. And I think there's certain types of jobs that are 
really, really great depending on what type of life you want to live and where you are in life, mm. right? Because different stages of life, you'll want different things. So I always had the entrepreneurial bug, right? And I think I come from immigrant parents who had to figure things out. There's a strong immigrant mentality in my culture as well, as you know. And so it was something I was always very interested in. Having said that, I wanted to be very calculated and I wanted to be very specific in how I approach things. And so I knew that there was a certain foundation that I needed to get. And I knew that banking could give me that foundation, that expertise. So that's one. Mm -hmm. So one was knowledge and experience and expertise all in that realm. And the second thing was a safety net. I wanted to make sure that I had a financial safety net as well. And so I had put together a plan when I started banking of essentially just back of the envelope, how much cash do I need to have to survive for one to two years and if I wanted to start my own business. And so once I had hit that, I thought, you know what, let me now go out there and take the leap. I do have somewhat of a financial safety net, so I feel a little better. Mm -hmm. But that's how that all happened. I love it. I mean, we are literally the same person. I did the same exact thing. And I think that's important because like you were saying, having the confidence to leave a stable job is tough. But knowing you have saved money, you know, it took you a few years, took me a yeah. few years to kind of get there. It definitely gives you the confidence that you're like, okay, I'm young enough to make this leap. I have money for a year to two years. So it's not as scary as it can be to make a big transition. Yeah. So I love that you did that. And so what was inspiration? So you save the money. You're like, all right, I'm meeting with all the, I know I felt this way. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Like we're meeting with all these amazing entrepreneurs. You're like, I want to do this, right? Yes. So tell me what pushed you to kind of start your business and what the inspiration was around it. Well, it's so interesting because I was working with a lot of, so when I was in banking, I was working with a lot of founders, right, who were companies that are well-established that are looking to go public or looking to get acquired. And I was young, right? <laughs> I thought I was so smart. I thought that I could do what they do and do it better. And I saw how much money they were bringing in, right? As a banker, you have access to all the information. And so I took the leap and I started a business that was in financial planning for the masses. It was an online tool. And I didn't just have a slice of humble pie. I had <laughs> the whole humble pie thrown into my face. It was really, really hard because when you are in a situation where you're when you're in a structured environment yeah. there's a lot of wonderful things that you're given that everyone doesn't always realize right so now, if we're at a startup, as you know, if you have a computer breakdown, someone's like, call tech. I'm like, that's me, right? <laughs> if you have an HR issue, I'm HR. We're everything, right? When we were in banking, we had people who would take care of everything for us. You have departments for things. You have everything set up. And it's so different when you join the startup space because you're it. Mm. And that was one of the hardest things for me was making that transition to you're just it. 100%. And it's interesting because you were also a solo founder, right? Yes. So this is tough because at least for me, I kind of worked at a startup and it was really awesome to see what kind of went on behind the scenes. But and even that transition was tough. You're learning to wear all hats and you're figuring all that out, but on someone else's paycheck. So for me, it was a blessing. But to leave banking and do this all by yourself solo, I'm sure it was really tough. I mean, I'm sure there was a ton of mental breakdowns, but how was your confidence at the time? Did you feel very insecure about yourself that you left this secure job and you started something that might have not panned out the way you expected? All of the above. So there were a lot of mental breakdowns. There were a lot of challenges. There's a lot of times your confidence gets hit and it was really, really hard. And there's a vacuum, right? Mm. Because you're not as clear on how things are going to pan out and what you're going to do. It is really, really hard. Mm. And 
I'm fortunate. I had a lot of great people around me, but my network in the startup ecosystem was not that strong at the time. And if I could go back, I think what you did was wonderful where you, first of all, were able to go work at another startup. It's such a different animal. And until people have actually worked at a startup, no one understands. You don't, yeah. They just don't, no one understands, right? I love my husband. (laughs) My husband works at a very large company and he's at Deloitte. And there's a lot of times he'll tell me what I'm doing. It's like a startup. And I'm like, that's cute. Yeah. Like, no, it's not. If you make a mistake, Deloitte's not going to go down. If we make a mistake, our company can go out of business. I was at Create and Cultivate during the global pandemic. And we're dealing with our staff, our employees. We have events. If we do something that doesn't work, our employees might not have a job now. And how are they going to go turn around during a global pandemic and find another job? That's another level of stress, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's challenging and it's hard. Now, having said that, do I appreciate the experiences that I have leaving the structured world, going into the startup world? Absolutely, I do. Because our life, as cliche as it sounds, yeah. our life is a journey. Yeah. And there's ups and downs and it's the downs that make things the up. One of the the movies I had watched some while ago, which really made an impact on me, was Inside Out. Did you ever watch that I movie? Didn't. I'm horrible with movies, but tell me. <laughs> it's a kid's movie, but it's about embracing your wholeness, mm. about all the sides of you. And they look at all the different emotions. So you have happy, sad, angry, cranky, all of these different ones. And what I love about the movie is they're not saying there's goods and bads. It's just you have happiness and mm. you have sadness. And both of them work together to create the whole you. That's so beautiful. So all these experiences that we have, they're not necessarily good or bad. They're actually just experiences. We call it good or bad. Mm. And if you think about it, good and bad is truly, for the most part, it's relative terms. Mm-hmm. And they're just experiences. So- Am I appreciative for the experiences that I had? Absolutely, because it's brought me to where I am today. Yeah. And I like where I am today. Totally. I mean, it all, fast forward, everything in your life all makes sense ultimately. And I know we both had very windy career paths and like now it everything makes sense. Yeah. But I'm curious. So looking at that experience with your first business, you've highlighted some of the learning. So one of them is not having that startup network or the awareness of what it really takes. Is there anything else that kind of comes to mind in terms of, some of the learnings or what you wish you kind of knew before just going full blown into it? (laughs) Yeah. So one of the big ones for me too is how to listen. And we think we're listening to other people, but we're listening with a framework that's already built in. Mm. And I think some of it for me was, you know, I was was a bit naive. I was, there was some inexperience and probably also some ego involved there as well that when other people were talking, I knew better. Interesting. If I could go back and tell myself something, it would be how to listen to people because you want to search for those golden nuggets of what they have, but you need to come from a place of listening where you don't already think you have the right answer. And a lot of times when we're listening to people, we're coming from a place of, well, I already know. Mm. I already know how to do this. And what has shifted for me over time is I've gotten better at learning how to listen. I'm continually learning still, right? And I'm sure there's more lessons, many more lessons that I have. And if I were to talk to you again in one year from now, right? I'm sure I'll say a lot of things also differently, but 
that for me was a really big deal was how to listen. Another one, and I alluded to this earlier, is to tune out the noise. Mm. You have so many people around you that are naysayers and you need to be able to be focused on what you know you're looking to accomplish. Mm. And I think that's very, very important. I agree. And also just setting boundaries with people around you that, you know, might not always be the most positive, but sometimes like when you're in the grind and trying to create something from scratch and have that inspiration, it's like you need to be so crazy about the people around you. Like I think about that all the time. Are their energies positive? Are they contributing in like a positive way? Even with family members, sometimes I have a big meeting and I'm like, hey, I'm going to call you this afternoon just because I know I can't manage that energy right now because I'm so protective of like how I show up. But I think also boundaries is, is super key, too. So that just came to mind. One thing that I think is interesting, you know, so much in entrepreneurship, you hear people say, pivot, right? Pivot, pivot, pivot. Don't fail, pivot. So I'm curious with your business, how did you decide to kind of let this thing go and kind of move on with your next step? Sometimes you have to have hard conversations with yourself and you need to understand not only what are you good at, but also what gets you excited to keep moving. And I realized at that point in time that I come from a very structured background, very structured world of we, as we've talked about right briefly. And as much as I like to think that I can take any idea from the ground up and make it happen, it is a different type of a skill set. And at that point in time in my life, I realized that's not where my energy is best used. Mm. And so it was hard. There were a lot of difficult conversations I had, especially with my mom, who's she's like my business coach, right? Oh, amazing. She's phenomenal. And so we talked about it a lot. And it was a very hard decision to say, you know what? What I did isn't working and I need to do something different. And now I have the experience and the background from the large structured world. I've worked now for a year and a half, two years on my own startup and developing things and getting things off the ground. So I'm seeing both sides. So what I have the ability now to do is help other companies that have some of the right Play-Doh, some of the right meat they're put together, and then I can help them scale. Now, scale is something that people use so loosely in the startup space, but it is something that's very, very important. And not everybody knows how to do that and do it well. Because of all the companies that I saw when I was in banking, I was able to see at an accelerated rate how a lot of these companies were able to be successful. So I was in banking, as you remember, right? Same time, 2000, let's see, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, around there. That was the most interesting wow. time to be in the market because you had all these companies that were doing so well before the Great Recession. Now, I could have two companies that are selling the same product and one company is going under and one company is making it through because the one company that was making it through had the right foundation mm. and infrastructure in place. Now, me, just like yourself, very curious. <laughs> so I'd go and ask those companies questions over and over again to see what it is that they did that was keeping them afloat. So when the Great Recession started to succeed or started to rescind, right? Basically, I would now see those companies, their sales were picking up, they were going back in, but their competition had been flushed out. And it was really interesting to see that happen. So now the hard conversation I had to have with myself, which is what you're getting to, right, is I, at that point in time in my life, I wasn't equipped, prepared, excited, whatever you want to call it, to take something from the ground up and build it. And I was looking to build at that time a tech product, and I'm not a tech founder. Mm. 
And I had to look in the mirror and say to myself, Neha, this isn't the right thing for you right now. Yeah. And I have to call the ball. Yeah. And that is being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And an entrepreneur isn't just someone who has their own startup. We're entrepreneurs in our own life, right? You're constantly creating, recreating, doing different things, trying different things. And I think one of the most beautiful things as humans as we can do is we can cut ourselves some slack and we can say, I'm going to go out and try this. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. I'll pivot. I'll whatever you want to call it, but I'll try something different, Mm -hmm. right? If this doesn't work, I'll try something different. If this doesn't work, I'll try something different. The only time we have a challenge, I think, is when we stop. I love this. And I think, you know, it's funny. At a lot of people before I launched Bia, they're like, how's it going? What happens if it's not going to work out? And I'm like, you know, I genuinely don't feel attached to the product. Like my mission in life is to support women, empower women. Bia is one element of that in health. But I remember I was like, you know what, we're starting this product. We're doing a quick like MVP. We're not spending so much money on our website. I know I talk about this a lot on my podcast, but we've allocated some money. We're like, let's just see what people think about it. Are people going to buy it? Does it resonate? But I was never attached to if it didn't work out, then we would maybe figure it out or just having that mindset of nothing is concrete, I think is helpful. And it kind of lessens the anxiety of it. Yeah. Right. Because it's so scary being an entrepreneur and starting a business. You have your own ego. You're like, are people going to look at me if I don't make it? If you are just doing things with passion and you don't you're not so fixated on what that is, it just makes it a little bit easier to do. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. You're saying it perfectly. And it is, it's a lot of times when I talk to other entrepreneurs, I tell them, especially my students, right? I'll tell them, write down what you want to do on a piece of paper with a pencil. And if you don't like it, you can throw it away. You can erase the pencil on the paper, but you can throw that paper away. It's not in stone. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, a lot of us think, myself included at times, that if I'm doing something, it's concrete, as you said, or it's set in stone. But in reality, it's not, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you can constantly create and recreate. I know that's a theme right now on this podcast, but it's, it's so true. And that does lessen out the anxiety and the burden that we are placing on ourselves. Yeah. People are so self-absorbed. As much as we think they're looking at us, they're thinking about yeah, themselves. No, no one's even like thinking about us. Yeah. Like, you know, we do this podcast, we were chatting about before, and I was just like, you know what? This is our thing. If people have something to say, whatever, but no one's actually talking about you to the extent that you think people are. Yeah. You know, it's so true. Like you think everyone's looking at you or noticing every little detail, yeah. and it's so not the case. You know, there's one thing that's interesting. I was working on a ethics textbook for one of my classes at one point in time. And one of the things I really studied and was looking at was the difference between self-interest and selfishness. And self-interest is us taking care of ourselves. Selfishness is essentially trying to better yourself while stepping over other people. Mm. And a lot of people interchange the two words, right? Self-interest or phrases, self-interest and selfishness. Human beings, we are beings of self-interest. And I think once we understand that and we accept that, we realize there's nothing wrong with looking out for yourself. There's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. But when you realize, too, again, that everyone works that way, Mm -hmm. they're all worried about themselves. So if they're worried about themselves, let me take care of my things, tune out a lot of the noise from other people, and focus on what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. Oh, that's like gold. I love everything that you're saying. And I'm going to transition a little bit because I know this is another topic that we're both so passionate about, but, you know, and I'm sure you see this with a lot of your students and entrepreneurs that you're seeing and meeting, 
but everyone wants to start a business around their passions. Tell me why this is not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) So you've heard some of my other things from before, obviously. So I really look at it as hobby versus business. And you really need to be able to look at what you're trying to create or starting. Is this a hobby for me or is this a business idea? Now, you can be passionate about both, but a hobby is something that's not necessarily going to generate an income. A business needs to generate an income. And what I think a lot of people do is they want to take off that burden that you and I were just talking about, that anxiety. And one of the ways that they will talk to themselves in order to alleviate that burden, that anxiety is to say, well, I'm just going to do this for fun. And I really like this and I'm excited about it. So if I do it and it works great, but if not, it doesn't matter. Mm. I do think it's more important to focus and be honest with yourself and say, this is a business that I'm looking to go after. What it does is it shifts your focus so that if you have, as an entrepreneur, as you know, you have a million things coming in at any given point in time, and you can't take them all on. But if you're clear to yourself, this is a business, it'll allow you now to focus and use that as a filter to know what are the priority items that you need to take on. Now, can you be excited about your business? Can you be passionate about your business? Absolutely. But it's still work. And I think that a lot of people in the meme world or the headline world, they lose sight about that. Because what I always keep reading about is follow your dreams, follow your passion, right? Yes, but you still have to work also, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And I, I think that sometimes that gets lost in the messaging along the way. And one thing, you know, I meet with a lot of friends or entrepreneurs who always want to like pass their idea through me. And the one thing I've noticed, and I think when we met for coffee, I had brought this up because I just had met with someone. They were so excited about this idea that they had, and it was going to be a business. She was going to leave her successful career to start this business. And, you know, she was doing great. And I started asking a few simple questions like, how do you plan on making money? What are your steps to that? Are you profitable? Like just the basic ones. And she hadn't thought about all those steps. And that's okay, because like, maybe it was the infancy of the idea. But I think, like you were saying, running a business is like, you need to think about the numbers and how it's going to make sense. It's not a nonprofit at the end of the day. That is a passion. If you're not thinking about making money, then that is something you do on the side. Maybe you should keep your job just to be safe if you're still running the show financially for yourself. But I think it's very different between a business and a passion. And then also, like you were saying, sometimes it's not always flowers in terms of like your everyday, right? This podcast is a pure passion of mine, right? I am not making money on it. I'm just putting money in it. And it's just what brings me alive. But, you know, turning a weekly podcast sometimes, especially when you're running a business, is not easy. But it's like the discipline and value that I get that I'm making an impact. Like at the end of the day, it's still worth it. But the nitty gritty sometimes can be very tough. And I just like to talk about that because it's not always so glamorous as people say, you know, and think. And I know business is like that as well. So it's good to know what's a passion. Listen, and if I always like to reflect maybe on like a quarterly basis and say, okay, I know the podcast, for example, is taking a lot of time, but is it still bringing me joy? Is it still bringing me excitement? Am I still making an impact? And if that's more than the nitty gritty of the grind that I'm doing every week, I will continue. The day that flips, I'll put this on hold and I'll, I'll recreate, right? We'll do something else that yeah. might make sense. Who knows what that would be? But I think just like going back to the difference between a business and a passion is really important. So if you're thinking about an idea, just try to yeah. p- put it in between one of those buckets. Absolutely. And one thing to note too for you is so I use the word hobby. And the reason I use the word hobby is 
it's a tax term. So a lot of people, they'll try to make certain write-offs, right? Let's say that somebody does against the podcast, right? Like this. The IRS dictates that if something is over three years in a business and it isn't generating any income, you can't keep writing things off. It's actually just considered a hobby, right? And so if you go in with that mindset and essentially state, look, is this a hobby or is this eventually going to be a business for me? That now starts to create more of a clear delineation and then hopefully will help you focus. So for you, you know, this podcast for you, it's a hobby, Mm -hmm. right? And it's something that you're also passionate about. Your business that you currently have in regards to wellness and health, that is a business. You also are passionate about that, Mm -hmm. but your focus is ultimately for it to be an income generating idea, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Versus with the podcast, you're not, if some way down the road, it turns into income generating, great. Yeah. But that's not what the focus is. Yeah. And from what you're talking about right now, it's very clear to you at what point in time you would also potentially give something up, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. No, thank you. And there's one thing that came to mind also is sometimes you have these projects and people are like, you know, why don't you blow up the podcast? Like there's so much opportunity and there's only so much you can focus on, right? Yeah. Like I have my dad calling me all the time. He's like, why aren't you on YouTube? You got, and I'm like, dad, I'm building a business. Like I know there's other opportunities, but like I can't do it all. Yeah. And I just think sometimes you also need to prioritize what's important. And from my perspective, I'm all about making an impact. And when you're building a business and it's income producing, you have more funds to hire a team and hopefully grow the business to make a broader impact versus the podcast, I'm not making money. I'm not putting yeah. money towards in it. So it's going to be, it's going to just grow through organically and word of mouth, which I'm super fortunate about. But yeah, I think the way you kind of broke it out is just helpful for anyone who's thinking through like, all right, I have this idea. Does it fall into a hobby like what you mentioned? Or is it a real business that you want to yeah. like pursue? So I love that. And, you know, what do you think that people, especially women, get wrong about work-life balance? Another topic that I know. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a big one for me. I don't necessarily believe, as you know, in the concept of work-life balance. And I think that it is something that a lot of people try to strive towards. And then I think that you're it's very hard because you're already coming from a place of trying to make something happen that is very difficult if you look at it that way. I know you've heard me talk about this before, and it's a little bit of a cliche story, but I love no, please, it. Please, please. You know, there's the professor standing at the front of the room, and he has a glass, and then he puts all these big rocks in it, and he asks the class, is there anything else that's going to fit in it? And everybody goes, no, nothing's going to fit in there. And then he puts small pebbles, and then he, they fall through the cracks in there, and it fills up, right? And then he goes, is anything else going to fit in it? And they go, no. And then he puts sand in it, so it fills in there. Is anything else going to fit in it? Then he puts water. And so he tells the class. This is like your life. You need to, life happens and your glass is going to fill up with things. Life, things, whatever's going on. So you need to proactively first put the things that are important to you in the glass, which are the big rocks. Now, they could be your friends, family, work, whatever it is. Then you put the next set of things. Then you put the next set of things. Because otherwise, as we all know, our calendars just fill up. Time just passes us by. So you need to proactively put those things in. Now, the one thing for me that's always missing from that story is that, so if you're looking at priorities, that's really what that is, it's balancing your priorities. Because in life, at different points in time in our life, we're going to have different priorities. So I used to work in direct-to-consumer wine. 
I did 70 to 90 hours a week when I was working. That is six days a week, working all day, going home, having dinner, coming back, and then working. Mm -hmm. Six days a week doing that. Now, a lot of people, you know, who I was working with at the time told me that you work too much. This is not good. This is not healthy. And I said, this is the time in my life where I can do this and I want to do it. You know, I got married while I was working there, but my husband was traveling for work and he travels all, he was traveling before COVID all the time. So he wasn't there. We didn't have kids. And it was my time to put in a couple of years at a startup for me to learn the ins and outs of what I wanted. And I viewed it as I went to business school for two years and I paid for that. Mm -hmm. I'm getting paid here and anything I want to work on, they'll give me to do. And I knew in my mind it was for a finite period of time. So at that point in time in my life, mm -hmm. that was the priority. Mm -hmm. And it's just like if you're in school. If you're in school, when you have midterms or finals, that's your priority. You can have a friend having a birthday. You can have something else happening and you might not be able to go. Does that mean you don't have a work-life balance? No, it's just final. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So it's very similar. Right now, as you know, I have two little kids. Yeah. They are my priority. And I love being around them. Mm -hmm. And I want to do things with them. So that is my priority. But it's about understanding what those big rocks are that you want to put into your glass and putting those in first, because otherwise things will fill it up, mm -hmm. as you know, yeah. and you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then also being understanding with yourself that at different points in your life, you're going to have different priorities. And that's great. Mm -hmm. A thousand percent. And just even thinking about your life right now, right? You have two young kids. They're under the age of three. Four. Yes. Under four. They're so sweet. Thank oh you. Oh, my gosh. So you have two young kids. You just launched a business. Congrats, which we'll get into in a little bit. You are running a fund that you just founded. You know, you're investing and advising all these companies in your portfolio. Yeah. Like, there's a lot going on. So how do you think about the priorities in your life and really the management of your day. Absolutely. So I think there's two big things for me that make all of this work. Yeah. One is, and my husband used to always use this story with me before. I'm, I'm an educator, so I'm big on stories. One is glass balls versus rubber balls. So if you're juggling a bunch of different balls and you have too many balls to juggle, you need to be able to identify which are the glass and which are the rubber balls. Mm. We can't always juggle all the balls that we have in the air. But what I've learned that makes people successful is being able to identify which are glass and which are rubber. You are going to drop balls at times. That's how this happens. It's going to happen and you need to give in to that. Mm -hmm. But you just don't want to drop the glass balls. So it's understanding which ones are the items that need to get done right away and which ones are the ones it's okay if they drop because they'll bounce back. Yeah. That's the first thing. The second thing for me has been truly having a life team. It's knowing who are the people around me that can help me with what and be a part of this team I'm building. Whatever I'm succeeding in, it isn't just me. There's a group of people that are all behind this that help me achieve what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. When I was in banking, I had one of the best credit coaches, one of the best. She still today helps me on things, anything that I need. She'll give me advice on things. If I'm looking at analyzing a company a certain way, I know I can go and talk to her, right? And even when I was teaching at UCLA, I'll always use her sayings and the things that she taught me when I was going through underwriting training. Having those people in your life and identifying who they are and allowing them the opportunity to be a part of that team mm -hmm. makes all the difference. And I think that's important to talk about because I'm at an age now where I have a lot of friends who are and family members who are having kids. They have amazing careers. 
And I think a lot of them realized they were trying to do everything themselves. They were like, oh, I'm a cardiologist and I'm doing everything with my child. And I think they realized a year, two years in that they need help and support. And I think it's important to talk about this life team because anyone who is doing anything amazing, you know, whether it's a hobby or a business, you have support behind you. And I think that's important because a lot of people think, oh, you can have kids and do this whole concept of like doing it all, I think is I don't have kids yet, but seems very much overwhelming. I'm like, there's no way I could do it all. I have no kids and I'm barely feeling like I can do it all. So I think that's important that you're talking about just having a team around you that can kind of support you through it. And, And I know, I think when we met initially, you were saying you took your job at Create and Cultivate. I think your first child was eight weeks old. Your husband was traveling a lot, but tell me more about kind of your life then. There's a lot to unpack there, but how you kind of set up your life to kind of take this job and the support you had. No, absolutely. It was hard, right? And everyone always keeps saying, how do you do it all? That's the question I get all the time. I don't. I don't do it all. I literally just told you right now, we have balls that I get, have balls that get dropped all the time. I just know which are the rubber balls, Yeah. right? And then I have all these wonderful, great people around me that I have enrolled into my life essentially to be a part of things. And when I started, my son was, you know, just so many weeks old. He was less than two months, seven weeks old. I'll never forget. And, you know, I was nursing. So I was pumping during the work, taking care of things, doing it all. And it was doing it all in regards to my child, at least, right? And it was hard. And then what I started to do, it wasn't hard, it was impossible. Then I started to realize I can't do it all by Mm. myself. Mm -hmm. I need to get other people around me in my community. I started to reach out to people. I started to find out about different mom groups, different things that were going on. And everyone has their own thing that's going to work for them. But I needed somebody that was going to be live-in, right? And so we ended up getting a live-in nanny. And I do understand that that is a luxury item. And we had decided at that point in time that my career was very important to me of what I wanted to accomplish then. And I had an opportunity that I wanted to make work. Mm -hmm. And so we said, it doesn't matter even if my whole income got turned around. And if we had to go ahead and put that towards childcare, we would make that work. Because one of the biggest challenges that women have is if I took off one or two years, it would set me back. We currently don't live in a world where if you're a woman and if you take off two or three years, you can just jump right back in and it's going to be all fine. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I always noticed before about a lot of my friends who are in medicine. If they're in medicine and if they take off a few years for a child, you have your MD, you can still, you didn't skip a beat. Yeah. Or maybe it's not as detrimental to your career as if someone who has an MBA Because if I didn't continue to move forward and do more, it's not the same for me when I just go back into the working world. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that my husband and I proactively had a lot of conversations about, about what is going to make the most sense. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy working. I feel good about working. And it made me a better mother by working. Mm -hmm. So that was a decision that my family chose to make that regardless the cost of childcare at the time, even if it was my whole compensation, whatever that was, and everyone has their own financial situations, we wanted to do something to make it work, Mm -hmm. to keep me being the person that I want to be. Yes. And I think the fact that you're having these conversations ahead of time is really key. And I think knowing what is important to you as well. And I know you started your first job when your son was seven Seven weeks. weeks. And it's like a grind in a startup. But 
tell me more because I know you've been very open about the postpartum you were kind of dealing with. It's tough. And what having that job kind of did for you. And I know that's specific to every woman, but tell me more about how that kind of shifted what you were going through at that time. You know, I wish more people would actually talk about this. If you would have asked me about postpartum before I had a child and I dealt with it, I would have probably said that just push through it. It's a mental thing. Just push through it. And I went through postpartum and it was bad. I would see a bowl of half-eaten food in the fridge and I would start to cry mm. because it was half-eaten. It made no sense, right? But it, it's not something that you can control. And it's a, a chemical reaction that's occurring in your body. And again, it's, it's not doesn't make you a good or a bad mother. It's just what is. And it was just what happened. And I realized I was crying all the time. I couldn't help it. Everything I'd see, I'd start crying. And my son was colic also. Oh, and wow. I didn't know what that meant until quite a bit later, actually, until I had my second child, because she wasn't. So it was easy to see the comparison. So it was very hard. And when I started working, after two days of working, I stopped crying. Mm. And I had so many people ask me, what about your kid? Right? Doesn't your kid need you? And I was like, I mean, I need to take care of myself also. I need to do what is right for myself so that I can be the best mother mm. for my child. And Yasmin, my son and I, my first child, we had a rocky start. A lot of people bond with their kid right away. I remember when I bonded with my kid, it was when he was 11 months. Versus with my second child, my daughter, it was probably within the first week, right? Mm -hmm. But it took me a while with my son. Mm -hmm. And there's no, again, right or wrong, yeah. but that was my journey to go through. And him and I, he's three and a half now. We have a phenomenal relationship as much as I can have with a toddler. <laughs> I love him. I love hanging out with him, but it was hard. And I think a lot of times we have a tendency and it could be because in the media, I don't know, but we have a tendency to glorify the relationship that we have with babies and our children. And for some people, it happens right away. For some people, the bonding can occur when the child's in your womb. For some people, like myself, it took a little bit of time. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But what I was able to do by going to work is I was able to do what I was good at doing. And I also, I teach entrepreneurship classes, but I don't have a sale under my belt. And it was my way. I wanted to get the Girl Scout badge, I guess you can say, of I took a company through a transaction and I led the charge. Mm -hmm. That was something I have wanted to do in my career. And I had the opportunity there with this company that was prime and ready to go for something like that. And am I a new mom? Yes. And not everybody has to work right after having a child. Some people, it's good for them to stay with a child. Some people, they want to stay with a child. For me, I wanted to work. And what was really hard for me at that time was there were a lot of people saying things to me around me evoking guilt. Mm. Why aren't you wanting to be more with your child? Is there something wrong with you? Now, no one used those words with me. Sure. Is there something wrong with you? But that's how it constantly occurred to me. Mm -hmm. And then you can let that mom guilt start to creep in. I had to work hard. Right. And it's the, the thing we were just talking about earlier about getting rid of that noise, the naysayers, the people. It's a muscle you build. Yeah. Do people still say things to me right now? You have two such young kids at home. You're doing all these different things. You're traveling, whatever it is. Yeah, they do. And I have to work to say, you know what? What I'm doing is good for me. What I'm doing is good for my family. Yeah. And it also 
genuinely makes me the best mother I can be for my kids. Mm -hmm. And I love it. Yeah. And I think you want, like you were saying, you know, we don't have kids yet, but this is a conversation that Drew and I talk a lot about also is my career is very important to me. I get so much joy. I have such a, like, it gives me the confidence. It's just really, I'm in my fulfillment. Fulfillment. That's exactly the word. Totally. And I have decided, you know, my sister decided to be with her kids at home. And I just feel like I'm very different. We're very different, right? Everyone is on their own life journey. And even now we're talking about the budget. What does it look like to get help? Because he's also an entrepreneur. You know, again, I know we're very lucky, but we are making life decisions kind of around our businesses. And we always joke that if something were to happen and we need to move out of L.A., go to a small town, be in an apartment, we'll do whatever it takes for us to still be in our happy place with our businesses and do a family. You know, like that is priority to us. So I just it seems like knowing who you are and being okay with that and figuring out your life to support that is key. And I look at women like you and it just makes me feel better because I'm always looking at examples of how other people are doing it. And, you know, a lot of people are like, wait till you have kids or, you know, you should be home with your kid. And everybody is so different and everyone has their own opinion. But I think I know myself. I came into this world wanting to start businesses, you know, for better, for worse. I don't know. But like you were saying, it just makes you a complete person that's excited and you're still fulfilled and makes you a great mom. And your child gets to see you shine in what you're doing. Like, how beautiful is that? Yeah. So you're a huge inspiration. I Thank love it. You. I'll reach out once I'm there. But um, <laughs> this is... Or when you're planning, right? Oh, planning. So, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. I had my daughter during the diligence process of the sale of the company, right? And was it hard? Absolutely. My life team was in place. We knew what we had to do, what we knew what we needed to go through, and it was amazing. One day, I'm going to tell my daughter, right, that she was there with me during the sale of the company. And it's so funny because at the beginning, so there's a a picture of me and and the founder of the company in Forbes for the the transaction sale. And I'd always look at that photo and I would say, oh, God, I I was 30-something weeks pregnant. I'm like, oh, I look so big. I look this, that, and constantly judging myself. And I was talking to my, my doctor, my OBGYN, and we were talking about the sale because it happened again during my birth. And I showed him the article, the Forbes article. And he said to me, oh, my God, Ava's in the photo with you. And I realized I'm sitting there judging myself about how I look. Yeah. And there I have the opportunity to carry my daughter and have her along with me for the journey. Mm. And I get to tell her this story. Now I look at that photo with pride. I love that. Oh, I have goosebumps just even hearing that. That's so, so beautiful. Thank you. So I want to now transition a little bit. I feel like we could talk about all that for like another podcast. We could go on for hours. But I want to hear more about, you know, you started this fund, New Money Ventures. You are always meeting with different entrepreneurs. And I know I asked this question to a lot of investors, but I still find it valuable and useful. But what are you personally looking for in founders and the companies that you ultimately invest in? The answer I'm going to say is probably something you hear from a lot of people as well, right? But it's we're looking for strong founders, people that are resilient. And the reason is, is because the world changes, as we have seen the past so many years, and you need people that are adaptable and people that can go through various different iterations and deal with that to make a business grow. If we're putting money into something, just as if you're putting your own personal money into something, you want it to be with people who can figure things out. And that's what I'm really looking for in founders, people that can think on their feet, people that can proactively think of items of what they need to do 
and people that understand that you have to be cautiously optimistic, mm. right? You need to be optimistic as a founder, as you know, but you also need to be cautiously optimistic because things can change. The worst can happen. We can have a global pandemic. I mean, we just, if you look at it, I'm on the operator side as well, just a minute ago. We were an events company where our sponsors were essentially working to get in front of millennials discretionary income and we go into a global pandemic. How did we quickly adapt, right? And I think the word pivot is wonderful and sometimes, as you're alluding to, overused as well. And it truly is adapting, mm -hmm. adapting whatever the environment has, what's going on. And so that's something I really look for in founders. And how can you tell, how do you decipher the resiliency of the founder? Is it their past experience? Is it in their business because you guys get involved pretty early on. Yeah. But how do you kind of see, are they resilient? I mean, it's a great question because it's not always the easiest thing to ascertain, yeah. right? And so some of it is through the questions that we ask. Some of it is based on their past experiences. One of the things that I really like is I was talking to somebody just about a week ago about a business that they've started. And they had operated and run a lot of their family businesses with their family growing up. And the one thing about family businesses that's always very interesting, right, is you quickly realize there's no one else. You're it, right? When I was in banking, if I took a vacation for two weeks, other people would cover my portfolio, <laughs> right? When you have a family-run business, there's nobody else, right? And so somebody asked me when I was having my second child, Ava, and I was working right after I had her, literally right after I had her. They said, that's horrible of your company. They should give you time off. They should give you maternity leave. They should do all these things. And I said, you know what? I am the they. The <laughs> I'm the they, right? And so you start to learn how to ask questions from founders. Now, they could be very rehearsed and all of that. But you start yeah. to learn ways to ask people questions where you can start to see that they understand mm -hmm. they're it. And that's something that really shows you an understanding. You see that they have ownership of the company and they really want to make something work. Yeah. And that just reminds me, I remember I was working at a startup and the founder would be like, you know, Yasmin, it was like a six person team at the time. They actually just sold, which is really cool to see the trajectory. But he was like, you need to think about the business all the time. And I was working more hours in banking, which I didn't even know existed. <laughs> and I remember I would think about the business, but it's so different when you start your own company. And it just reminded me because you said you're it. It's a totally different game of you are always like I'm always thinking about my business all the time. Weekends, showers. And it's like subconsciously you're yeah. just thinking about it. So dreaming about you're dreaming it. About, yeah. And it's not a bad thing, but it's like you are at the end of the day the buck stops at you. If you don't move the needle or yeah. if you go on vacation for two weeks, like nothing happens. So it's just such a different feeling when you are in it. And it may be a family business. I can see you can get that dynamic in that sense because you guys are all in it together. But there's nothing like starting your own business for you to really realize the mental load of it. And yeah. I think that's important because not everybody can deal with something like that. Yeah. With, and not everybody sense. wants to, and that, right? Exactly. And that's that's, that's fine okay. too. Yeah. I'm going to say something right now that is going to be very interesting too, but everything you said right now, you're dreaming, sleeping, shower, everything, right? Isn't that passion? <laughs> yes. But think about that as passion, right? But that's where it truly is. Like you can have a business 
that you're passionate about, mm -hmm. but you need to be clear that this is a business. Yeah. But when you're dreaming, sleeping, in the shower, whatever it is that you're doing and you're thinking about this, that is what passion is. Yeah. Now, it's still hard work. It doesn't mean that I'm just going to a party. But like, even if you just think of parties, right? You could be, go to a party and it's fun and that could be exciting and you could be passionate about parties, right? I'm just yeah. running with this example here. Yeah. Or you're throwing parties. Now, if you're throwing parties, you could still be passionate about it, but it is work. Yeah. Throwing yeah. an event is work, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of effort that's involved, as you know, right, in throwing get-togethers or events. Yeah. And I think that's very clear for people to look at and to understand. And I think one that just kind of takes you back to your first business. And one of the reasons when you realize that you didn't want to maybe pursue this is the excitement wasn't there. Yeah. And it's like the excitement and the passion. And I think if you can have that in your business, of course, not every day you're going to wake up and be like, yep. oh, I'm so excited. But generally speaking, I think that also is a huge competitive advantage for your business too, yeah. right? Because it's, it's like a long-term thing. You're building a business. It's a marathon. So if you're not excited and thinking about it all the time, I just think it's it makes harder it harder to do. There, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, agree. I always felt that way with other businesses until I started my own. And I genuinely feel like actually excited about what we're building. Yeah. So I now know the difference. So if you're able to find something that you're excited and genuinely passionate about, it is only going to be to your advantage in growing this business. That was so perfectly said. <laughs> it was so, but that's so good. And it's so true what you just said, yeah. right? And are there going to be hard days? 100%. Are there going to be things you have to deal with that you don't like? Of course there are. Yeah. People you don't like, people you don't get along <laughs> with. I mean, all the time and you got to push through it, but you're still excited. You're still passionate, right? I, I just think these headlines of follow your dreams, follow your passions, like everyone thinks it's going to be rainbows and sunshine all the time. And then when you have a little bit of rain, people just give up yeah. and they go, this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I love what you just said. It was so spot on. And I just think that so many entrepreneurs, they really need to hear that. I love teaching. I'm passionate about teaching. I love it. I happen to get paid for it, yeah. which is nice, yeah. right? <laughs> but it's something that excites me. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to talk to my students about certain things and share with them things I've learned or things that are going on in the world, right? And I think it's that excitement that can be contagious. And I think that's something that you and I both love about the entrepreneurship space. Yeah. Because you have to be excited to be in it. Otherwise, it's so it hard <laughs> to make it through. But that excitement is contagious. Yeah. And it's fun. Totally. And that takes me to, you know, congrats on my wines. I know you guys just May wines. May yes, wines. Yes. Sorry. So tell me more about the inspiration for that. And it's also interesting to see how your experience in when you're working for a DDC wine business is now kind of come yes. full circle. So yes. tell me more about this new business. It's really exciting. So when I was working at Create and Cultivate, right, we really focus on experiential. And there we're bringing people together to learn more, to look at how to run their own businesses or their side hustle. But it's experiential. It's bringing people together. And as we were talking about earlier, right, it's at different phases in our life, we have different priorities or different things that excites us. Mm -hmm. At this phase in our lives, my founder and I, we're now looking at, you know, still experiential and bringing people together, but now it's through a product mm. and it's through wine. Wine, as you know, is dynamic. It's complex. It's constantly changing, right? Just like human beings. If you take a bottle of wine and you open it, it's not the same that minute as it was five minutes ago. And over the next one hour, two hours, it changes. And wine in a bottle changes over the course of years as well. It's just like humans. 
we're constantly evolving. We're constantly changing. And we love that. And wine is fun. It's exciting. And it brings people together. And wine is an experience. Mm. And when I was doing research on you, I think you were, did you get your sommelier? I was shocked. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So I've done with the W set up to level two. That's huge. Thank you. I have one more level to go right <laughs> now and then I'll be done. But yes, yes. I'm No, but I'm super excited for you guys because you're right. Like Create and Cultivate, you guys were doing such amazing events and whatnot. And like being able to take that experience you guys have with a product that yep. builds community and getting people together. I'm so excited to just see you guys shine and I know you're killing it and hopefully we can do some fun dinner parties in the future with your wine. Absolutely. So excited for you. Which will be hobbies. Hobbies. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Which will be very, very fun. And so, and again, like back to May wines too, it's just, it's about having the right people around you, right? We've been bringing in a great team here, which is wonderful. Right now we have some contractors that we're working with, but they're, they're really, really great. And it's about empowering the people that were there. And I know back to Create and Cultivate, we were just talking about that as well. You know, when I was at Create and Cultivate and we're going through the transaction, I had two people. One was my right hand. One was my left hand, Samantha and Carol. And they helped us get through the global pandemic. They helped us get through the transaction and the sale. And then now in May Wines, we have some wonderful people as well. The people around you, especially when a company is in growth stage, the people around you or even just launch stage, right? They're everything. They really are. And how do you find that team of people around you? People always ask me, they're like, I'm looking for this person. What do I do? Where do I look? I'm curious. It's a combination of finding and cultivating, right? So you can find, I'm going to bring up one more movie for you. (laughs) Have you seen the Lego movie? Another kid's movie, (laughs) right? I'll be pretty quick on this one, but there's a main character named Emmett in the story and he's a Lego. Now they're looking for someone to be the special, the special. And they realize during the evolution of the story that he's not really this special, but he ends up doing things that are very amazing. Mm. The concept behind the story, Yasmin, is that every single person has the ability to be the special. And it's our job as leaders to bring that out and to cultivate that. I have found amazing people around me. And if given the opportunity to step up, Mm If they take it, I'm happy to then work with them. And I have seen people do amazing things. And they're so great. Like these people, I just, I'm so fortunate that I've gotten to work with them. And they make it fun and exciting. At Create and Cultivate, those two people were with me through the trenches, right? And did I know they were going to be so great and amazing? Honestly, no, right? I mean, we brought them on board. They were good, but they were stars. That's awesome. And so I think in a leadership position, we have the opportunity to allow others to reach their potential. Mm -hmm. And I get to see that in so many people. And so back to this thing with the Lego movie, I think everyone, given the right circumstances, has the opportunity to be the special. And it's really good. It's amazing. And I think it's a really fulfilling part of building your team is like, I love how you said cultivating someone. And I feel like people took bets on me. And it's really fun to now be in the position to empower others. And you see magical qualities that they might not see in themselves. And you kind of put them in that position. So I think that's a great point. Because you're right, you know, a lot of people think I need to find someone with all these exact skill sets. I'm looking for someone 
that does X, Y, Z, but it's like you can cultivate that person yep. if they're the right fit for yeah. you. You want to have the right Play-Doh yeah. sometimes, yeah. right? The same kind of starting material, depending on what you're looking for that you need. Yeah. But then people figure things out and they yeah. learn too. Exactly. And so it's finding the right people really even more so at startup because we have to wear multiple different hats as an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> right? And with them all the time too. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, exactly. We have to wear all, all the hats, yeah. <laughs> you know? So. I love it. Well, I want to close on one topic that we didn't talk much about, but I feel like it's a big theme in your own life around faith. What advice do you have for women listening who might be struggling with this and are trying to control, right, every single aspect of their life? Well, I got to tell you, I was you, if that's how you are. And then I had kids, <laughs> right? I used to think that my life was like a bowling alley, right? And you put up the guardrails. So my control mechanisms were the guardrails. So I could force a certain outcome. But what I realized is I'm playing a small game. then, mm. Because when you play a bigger game in life, you don't always have the ability to put up the guardrails. And what really showed that to me was having children. You think you can manage things. You think you can control breakdowns. You think you can control throw ups in the car. You think you can manage those things. But constantly things come up that will derail you. And I learned, and I, I used to always hear about faith and different things people used to talk about faith before. And I thought it was something that was so hypothetical and out there. Again, I'm accounting in finance, yeah, right? So I'm totally. looking at tangible items. So I thought faith was something that was just so out there. It was it was beyond my comprehension, right? And then I noticed with my child, with my son, he has complete faith in me. If I tell him to do something or if I tell him something is bad, it's complete faith that I'm going to be there and I'm going to take care of him. And it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful thing. And I started to put myself out there more in the world and say, you know what? I'm just going to give it a try. I'm going to give it a go. And let's, let's see what happens. Right? Let's, let's throw it out there and let's just have some faith that things are going to work. And if it doesn't, We'll make iterations. We'll do something different. But at least I know I went out there and I gave it a try. And that for me is very big. Funny story for you. So I've been very fortunate where I never really had gray hair. And the past year, year and a half, I have this big patch of gray hair that started to come in underneath, yeah. right? Mine on the right-hand side. <laughs> yeah. And you know what I realized? I think if I got gray hair earlier it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But now for me, it's a sign of age, right? Mm -hmm. I also, I turned 40 a year ago, 41. I realized I think I have all the time in the world, but we don't. Time is coming. Mm. Age is coming. And I view that gray hair now as a gift, as a reminder that if there's something I want to do, I need to move with it. I need to figure it out. I need to go for it. And I might not have everything figured out and have the guardrails in place in the bowling alley, but I need to have some faith mm. and I need to believe in that faith. And I think also that's one of the things I was missing when I started my own company. I didn't have that faith to take the leap. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing things, but it's part way, two steps forward, one step back, because I was constantly nervous. How am I going to look? Is this going to work? Because I had such a great career in banking. And so then it's all of a sudden you're doing this and I don't want to look like a failure. I don't want to be the one that made, did something and it didn't work. Now it's like time is coming. 
there is a finite end to all of this, but there's a beauty to that in that we have a limited amount of time. Let's do all the cool stuff that we can. God, Neha, that was so beautiful. <laughs> Thank Such a you. joy having you on. I know we talked a little bit over an hour, but this was so much fun. Thank you so much for sharing all your gems with us today. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate what you're doing and what you're creating for so many women out there, including people like my student, who's over here in the corner, my former student. Oh my God, it's an honor to have women like you share their story and be just so open. So thank you for being part of it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.